Hello, Tabernacle. My name is Tim, one of the pastors. I'm really glad you joined us this weekend. Uh, I don't know if there's cheers or not for the end of the Needs to be Said series. Um, I thought it's been great. I just love that little bit of uh, flexibility to do some tiny topical. Uh, and it, it's been a really good topic of things that need to be said. Uh, we have a really tight schedule tonight, um, which means I have a lot to say. Uh, and so last night I spent time discussing with my wife either I talk really fast or I take some things out. Um, and I'm choosing to speak really fast. Not really. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, I'm going to ask you to open to the uh, book of Luke. Um, we're going to be in chapter 15. Uh, and there's a lot that needs to be said out of chapter 15. Uh, before we begin that, I'm going to uh, just ask you to bow your heads again real quick. Father, I ask uh, for the people that are, are listening, wherever it may be, those that are here, that uh, you clear our hearts and our minds of the junk that's in the way so often. I know there's concerns and worries and excitement and frustration with all, all of us at times. Um, the songs set us up to truly worship you, and it transcends uh, really how peaceful it can make us and how worshipful it can make us. It's, it's, it's mystical how you do that. Your word, Father, is living, and that's mystical as well. Stories from long ago have something directly to say to us today. Uh, Father, so please let our hearts be open. May it be about us, about me, not about the person around me, but myself. In your name, amen. So, uh, it needs to be said, great, great title for a series. It needs to be said. Uh, I'm going to... You know, just to let you off the hook just a little bit, how weird my life is. Every now and then, uh, I'll get something. I got a note uh, last week from John. Here's what's in needs to be said this week. And as it starts, it's listing all of the verses and stuff. And it says NTSB. And I'm going, what translation is that? <laughs> Nobody gets that? Have you ever looked like on Bible.com or something and, and you see how many versions there are? Yeah, it's not. needs to be said. Uh, this is out of the ESV. Uh, when we get to Luke here, it needs to be said that we are one church. It needs to be said that we are one church. Now, I want to go broad at first. There's the church universal, the church around the entire globe. Uh, all of the people who follow Jesus comprise church. And we're all together, and we all have the same vision and the same mission. It may be stated a little bit different, but it's the same mission and the same vision. And we meet together here at the Tabernacle in this location, and we meet in another location, a place called Manistee. Say it with me, Manistee. Uh, they're our church. They're us. They're we. We're one church. We have people that meet online. We have people that are still meeting in home churches uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. They're part of us. We are one church. And why does that even need to be said, that we're one church? Well, this is where you put your seatbelt on just a tad. I'm just going to get real. We don't always act that way. There are times where we really lose focus. So Luke 15 came to mind because Luke 15 has three parables in it. 
Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to religious people and supposed wicked sinners, and, you know, they, they were, just like we are, uh, people who didn't know or didn't, tax collectors, people like that. And he's speaking to them, and he tells them three stories, and through the three stories, each one of them builds, and it builds exactly opposite as we build. We build one to a hundred. This goes a hundred to one. And it begins with a parable of the lost sheep. And one is missing, and a hundred are the total. And the, they go out and they find the one sheep, and there's vast rejoicing because now they're a hundred again. It's because they were one herd. And the focus was the lost sheep. And then the second story is about ten coins in a very poor person's house, and they, and they mean a fair amount to them, and one is missing. And the person sweeps and cleans their whole, it was spring cleaning, and they found the coin, and there was rejoicing, because now the ten is whole again. And they were celebrating over the one lost. And the last story is this one. So if you'll read with me, this is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I'm not going to pause, I'm just going to read right on through. So here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. He went all the way to Manistee. And he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, it means he kind of had a moment of clarity, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven, and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fat and calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dance, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. These many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost. Now it's found. That's the end of the living word. It's a powerful story. It's called The Prodigal Son. Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God, which he believes is, should be the title of this because the God lavishes the father is God in this story. And, and the son, uh, the two sons are us. Sometimes we're lost. and we, we go far away and we make foolish decisions in our life and we're chasing after the good feel. That's us. And sometimes we're not the one. We see the temptation. We turn away from it and we work in the field, the field of harvest here. But there's something wrong with the way the second son is treating the father and his lost brother. There's something wrong with that. I don't know if you felt it in the story or not, but it's so simply worded and it's so beautiful. See, we make up the church. We, us individuals, uh, groups, families, cities, states. But we make up not my church. I mean, we, we stated a couple of weeks ago when John and I took over, we kind of wanted to create the church we always wanted to go to. And, and that part was true. It's a church we always wanted to go to. But the thing that we have to keep in mind all of the time is it's his church. We are the bride of Christ. We are his idea. And he built the church to bring glory to himself, but also to help us. We gather so we can scatter. We gather together. It's really important because we have built-in forgetters. And if we have uh, long enough without contact, we begin to lose our compass and we start to stray. So the more we're able to get together, and, and God's going to speak to us every single time, each individual that's here, he'll speak to us and it's so that we can gather and we can scatter. Scatter for what? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? Sometimes we need a lot of guidance. I do. I mean, I have shared with you many times, I write the sermon to me first. I need, I need a lot of guidance. And I need a lot of guidance to properly accept God's grace and to properly give away his grace and to be continually reminded that it's lavish. It's so undeserved and potent and individually meaningful. So it needs to be said, we are one church. We are one church. The mission and the vision at the tabernacle doesn't change. The mission is love God, love people, and make disciples. The vision is simply change lives. Change lives. The only one who changes lives is God. The only one that is allowed 
presence is, is a gift of the Holy Spirit as they begin to understand the word of God and the meaning he has in their life. And we're surrounded by a world right now that tells us that it's stupid and it's foolish and it's all about me and it's all about my rights and it's all about this. And, and, and those, there's a lot of really good things happening out there, but that's not the purpose of life. And that's not what his church is about. He wants us to remember we're one church. So I'll give you an example. Long ago, in a time far, far away, I used to go to every board meeting. And then I got paroled, and I didn't anymore. I, I still go sometimes, rarely, but I'm, I'm welcome. But at that time, we, we went from a really, really small, tiny church that was quite conservative, and the conservative aspect of that church did something amazing. Even though it was almost dead, they gave us a paid-for building and an ability to start out with almost a zero-dollar budget to begin to build his church. They did some really good things. But there was a portion of language that kept happening. And we would be at the table and we'd be discussing and, and whatever it was. And a decision would be made. And there'd be one or two people, maybe not for that decision, but at that point in time on the board, the majority ruled. Uh, they took the vote and wrote it down uh, and decided to move forward. And then, of course... If you didn't vote for it and it wasn't going well, the language was this. Well, that's what they voted for. And we would stop the meeting. And John would text me and say, sit down, Tim, and be quiet. And I would. And he would stand up and he'd go, guys, it's we. We decided. Whether you vote it for or against, it's we. And it was an us and it was a them mentality for a little while. And that creates division and strife and confusion and sometimes even anger and a little bit of maybe, dare I say, dislike for the people across the table because they didn't vote exactly the way you thought it should be. Throughout the next five years, we worked on that. It's us. It's we. It's never they. Many times, even in private conversation, I'd be talking with John, I'd go, oh, nope, nope, Tim, it's we. And I'd go, shut up, I know that. Just slip. No, it can't slip. Words matter. Words matter. It's us. Now, why would I bring that up? Well, we're one church in many locations. We have another physical location in Manistee. We have one that's active every week in a prison. Uh, we have a ton of people listening online. And we have people still watching at home and doing home groups or maybe by themselves. And all of that comprises one church. But there can be this feeling of left behind or didn't we already spend enough money on them? Huh, words matter. We're spending the money on us. Do they really need another staff person? No, it, it's, it's we. We need another staff person. But are they Christians? <laughs> yeah, we are. Flawed. Lavished with grace. Totally undeserving. Gifted beyond measure. Look at where we're meeting. This is incredible. If it was me, we would have three sticks and a bad tent. Guys, 
But look what he's done for his church, the one church. Before, in that chapter of the parables, there's a theme, and the theme is the lost. In verse 7 of chapter 15, I'm just going to read it to you. It's not on the board, but I want you to hear this. Jesus is the one who says this. Now imagine Jesus came and stood right here. And the frustrating thing is, is, is he already knows our hearts. And we're good at pretending. Me too. But now he knows our hearts. And he tells us those stories and he says this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to be forgiven. Heaven rejoices. The angels get together and one person saved and that's a party. All of us behaving? Yeah. Well done. Do you get the difference? It doesn't mean that you're not important. It doesn't mean that, that special areas aren't important. It doesn't mean that you don't even, even go, man, I'd really like to see this happens. But what's the motive of the thing happening? What's the goal? What's the goal? If we can be one church, we need to be unified around one thing, not a million. One thing. If we can get this right, and, and we're doing really well in so many areas, but I get passionate about the things that, that pull us off task. If we can get this right, the one church will explode. It will just explode. So if you heard a story of one person in the prison that's privileged to watch because their people in charge think it's good, if one of those people repent and come home, the father runs. He runs. And old guys in patriarchal society back then didn't run. They had servants to do that. He became undignified and he ran and he lavished his son with kisses and hugs and a new cloak and the family ring and a party of all parties. Are we going to celebrate with him? Are we going to get fired up about that and go, you know, it, it's, there, there, there's been a couple little complaints that I actually agree with. How come there's no coffee? Right? Well, I'm still willing to come. I still have coffee. You can get coffee all over, just not here right now. That, that's not enough to take away the mission the one vision we have to make heaven rejoice. So how do we get there? Well, I'm going to ask you another thing. Do you pray? You know, do you pray? That, that's between you and God. There's not a hand raising. There's not a right way to pray. There's not a wrong way to pray. But do you pray? Know that God knows your heart while you're praying, just like he does when you're not praying. He knows our hearts, and he's not there to squish us. He just lives in this thing called reality. 
James 5.16 tells us this. So this is to us, the church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Heal from what? It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as the prayer is working. So what needs to be healed? I do. My attitude, my heart, my pettiness, my selfishness, my frustrations with others, my little complaints over the weather raining when it should have been beautiful. Those are the things that need to be healed. Because when we pray, there's, we're taught how to pray, but it says this, confess your sins to one another. I'm going to tell you the, the mystical power of AA that is profound. And if you're not uh, a drug addict or an alcoholic and aren't part of those groups, um, I'm sorry for you because I've learned a lot there. And the thing is this, you say it out loud, say it out loud. Sometimes I'm petty and I'm frustrated, and when my wife does something beautiful, I still get angry. It takes the power away. It takes the bitterness away. And most of the time, you're sitting around a bobblehead room where everybody's going, yeah, me too, except I have a husband instead of a wife. Oh, really? There's a healing aspect of when we can go, here's me and here's the flaws, I'm just going to lay it out there. But there was a time in my life when there was clapping and a party upstairs because I found Jesus, and he came running to meet me. So my suggestion is this. If you serve, if you serve somewhere outside of the church, but you're still representing Christ, if you're at a point in your life where the best you can do is, is attend, uh, that, that's great. There's a season for that. And maybe you're online and you don't have that opportunity. How about if you pray for your counterpart? If there's one person that watches online that's praying right now and you begin to pray, I guarantee you there's somebody else. Manistee, I'm going to ask them to pray for us. And I'm going to ask us to be on our knees to pray for Manistee. want us to be grateful for what God has done. We just went through the COVID stuff and prognosis from those who know more than I is that we're still in a, a pretty darn dangerous season. Things may change again. I don't know. God brought us through and we came back and we're still here, right? Amen. And, and, and this building's here and we, 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 people still love Jesus. It's really cool. He brought us through that. How about if we're just grateful for that? It's our job to go ask and invite, and let's say we do that, and someone doesn't decides not to come. Don't spend our time mourning about those people not coming. The people, somebody sat right next to you. What about the people that are here? Because some of them need encouragement. What if you pray for your counterpart? And what if you pray with a level of greatness and gratefulness and belief that will happen? The next thing, sometimes we get frustrated 
because something isn't happening at our space and our time. I'm, I'm part of that crowd. Maybe there's something I desire to have happen, but when I ask you this, do you ask? In your prayer, do you ask? I know we generally ask for something in a prayer. There's a level of gratefulness, too, that can go into that. James 4, verses 2, tells us this. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, I want to separate this from prosperity gospel. In that prayer, God also knows your heart. I mean, what is our prayer really about? Is it about stuff, about well-being, about acknowledgement? I'm not saying any of that's necessarily bad depending on our heart. See, the older brother in this story is so angry at his father. And I need you to understand his heart. Excuse me. When he comes to his father, he says, that son of yours. I mean, everything is demeaning. He went and squandered everything on prostitutes, and you welcomed him back. You gave him a ring. You gave him a robe. What about me? What about me? You never did that for me. I've slaved for you for all these years. That's it. That's the answer. His son, two things in here that are really, really obvious is, is number one, he uses the word, I slaved for you. He did not do it out of love or respect or compassion He didn't care about that. He did it so that his works would be deemed worthy. Guys, I don't care what works you do. I don't care how great they are. I don't care how magnificent, how many books are written about you in your life. And and it's not enough. It never will be. The greatest of the greatest as filthy rags. There's a verse It just won't happen. And he wants everything acknowledged. I earned this. Jesus is saying in all of those parables, you didn't earn that. It was lavished upon you. Now, it's not said in here in in the Luke story, but it's implied very clearly. The son never asked. He never said, hey, dad, man, I've been working for you for a long time, and I've had a great harvest, and six more cows and whatever it is farmers do. Can I have a party with some friends? I bet the dad would said, you bet, son, let's go for this. What can I provide? But he never asked. He was quiet. So he didn't confess his sins out loud like Scripture tells us to. He kept them inside and he harbored them. You know, sometimes the cause seems so worthy I probably shouldn't say this because I'll get in trouble, but there have been people who have left this church 
because their fight was about what they perceived as not a visible cross in this room. And even though we pointed out, there it is. It wasn't enough, and it wasn't what they wanted, and they, they were so righteous, and their hearts were so hurt by something, and I don't know what this something was, but it wasn't the cross. And they never really asked. They demanded. And then there was accusations. And through the whole time I'm going through this, to me, Tim, don't be the elder son in this moment. You have every right to, and you have all the words to say. Fortunately, those people have gone to another church that, uh, that they're prospering in, and praise God for that. And if I've done something or we've done something to make that happen, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It wasn't the goal. But at that moment, so what do you ask for? So if you pray, there's this thought that we need to be on our knees, and that can be metaphorical or physical. And I'm going to ask you this. How do you come off your knees? So what's your attitude when you come off your knees? What's your attitude when you come off your knees? Is it hopeless? Is it like, well, that was a wasted five minutes because that'll never happen? I've been there. Is it, uh, man, that's too ludicrous. That's more than... I can ever ask or imagine. Oh, there's a verse there too. Is it with expectations and joy? Is it maybe going, I bet if I really pay attention this time through, I'm going to see God's will in this. So when we pray and we come off our knees after we've asked, Colossians 4, 2 through 4 tells us this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Keep your eyes open. Watch what's happening. Look. Don't wait for somebody to point it out. It's up to you. That's your circumstance and your prayer, and it's an intimate relationship with God. That's what he really desires. So here you are. This is at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This is Paul writing. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So he's saying, man, when I, when I have the chance to speak to people, I want to I present the gospel really clear. But I need you to pray. Paul's saying that in one way because I'm just a man. And he's, other, he's saying another thing. Because we're one church. We're one church. We're praying for the same thing. We're praying for the celebration that can happen, not about our comfort. So how do you come off your knees? Well, I could think of two ways. I'm going to close with these. Grateful or entitled? Grateful or entitled? Grateful is like a sincere, unapologetic thank you. It's, it's, it's a sense of awe. I mean, have you ever been given a gift by somebody that's like, 
they had to actually really pay attention to who you are as a human being for them to have any clue that that would be something you desire, and then you get that thing, and there's this gratefulness. I mean, somebody else might give you a car, and that's a big thing, and you might really show gratefulness there, but what about that small thing? That Do we come off our knees with that gratefulness? Or are we entitled? I've slaved for this church for all these years. I deserve my own special chair. <laughs> and we have really nice chairs. If you need one better, this is the wrong place. And I'm not saying that's the way we are. I'm saying that's the way I can be. That's why I need to keep coming back on a, on a regular basis or tuning in if I can't come here and listening and, and getting fed back up again so I can go back out for another week and scatter. And the reason that we gather to scatter is so that we can fulfill the mission and vision. Now, churches, is, is, is it about uh, uh, having a better marriage? Yeah, it is. is. Is it about being a better student or a better parent or a better aunt or uncle or daughter, son? Yes, it's about all of those things. It's about, it's about uh, having meaning and purpose and clarity in, in, in what we're doing and why we're doing it. it, it it's, about, it's about seeing the gifts in ourselves and others and then realizing that there's a whole bunch of talent that's been scattered around too and how do we encourage. Yeah, that's what it's about, but it really has a goal that supersedes me. See, I'm already here, so I'm pretty important. I really am. It's those that are out haven't been in, not just this church, any church worldwide that preaches Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the only way. Church that's preaching that, I don't care. Just go. Get there. Learn. Be taught. One of the things that we need right now at the tabernacle is total, unadulterated unity. And it isn't unity for a person or a place, or a thing. See, it's unity with all of the diversity included around the mission and vision that Jesus Christ laid out in the three parables. It's about the lost. And shame on us, shame on me, when it becomes about me instead. It happens. But we serve a God, remember, that lavishes out grace. Amen? He lavishes it out. So if you'll bow your heads, in just a, a little bit of time of reflection, there's, uh, there's this time when we're entitled. And it isn't even with bad intent often. It just is. It's part of the human condition. And it's really, really frustrating. And it's got to be frustrating to a loving and patient God to see it happen over and over. And, you know, sometimes when we say, I, I don't get what I need, it's really, I don't get what I want. And we have to be honest and we have to confess our sins out loud to each other. Still be cautious and set boundaries when we do that but yeah because those are the things that help break the entitlement if we can continue to focus on not just these three stories but realize that's what the entire 
gospel, the entire Bible is about. It's just summed up so perfectly. You can't goof up any more than the younger son did unless you're the older son. Unless you're the older son because you've lost sight of the meaning. So I'm going to encourage you this week to look through Luke 15 and check it out. Read all the stories and then I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for your counterpart. I'm going to ask you to pray for those in your family. I'm going to ask you to pray for God's will in that. I'm going to ask you then, when you get off your knees praying, think about where your heart's at. Is it grateful? Or is it entitled? My prayer is this week that we're grateful. And that this is the beginning of something profound. The next step that the tabernacle takes. Wherever God leads us. May that be the case. May we be unified, unified as one, as one heart and one mind towards the same lavish grace and celebration for those who are found. We ask this in your blessed name, Father. Empower us.